All right, Lord, thank you for, uh, again, we're just, uh, we're grateful, Father, that you've given us fellowship, and we don't take it lightly in light of your church around the world, like in Iran and China and different places, God, where this is a privilege, so we count it a privilege today that uh, you've allowed us to come together and work through the Word together. We just ask you for grace, Father. We ask you for grace to to have a, a reasonable mind and a reasonable heart and in light of what you've done and what you're going to do, Father, and that you give us grace to bring our minds and hearts into accord with the Scriptures, Father, and we just submit ourselves to you in all things, that you might be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so I thought since we're on this passage, since we're on this deal of, of uh, working through realized eschatology, kingdom now passages, we, we should just read a few, uh, a few passages to give us a little ump for why we're doing this. Yeah, when you say uh, inaugural, uh, inaugural uh, realize kingdom now, basically all synonymous. Yeah, I'm just saying that you, you make the second coming the first coming, <coughs> either fully or partially, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so this was, you know, you read, you read, uh, uh, you read Eusebius, the the court historian for Constantine, and you read his life of Constantine. That one's an eye opener. You know, when Eusebius starts working through the history of Constantine coming to power and and every event he attaches to Isaiah 60, Isaiah 62, you know, and Isaiah 2 and and all these Daniel 2, he, he just starts attaching all of the Old Testament messianic prophecies coming to pass in Constantine. And look how peace has spread across the earth, Zechariah 9, and it's been established under the the great rule of, of our Lord Constantine, and God has manifest his sovereignty now in, in his day. And we've seen the fulfillment of the prophets, and it's all this realized eschatology of the future now, and you're just like, you know, and then of course we see, looking back on it, he just assumed it would go on forever to increasing glory. In Eusebius's day, but we see it obviously is falling short of man once again. But but it's all the same idea that you you interpret the the what ought to be at the day of the Lord in the age to come into the first coming in this age in the church and whoever else. And all that is under one broad idea of realized eschatology is full, you know. Inaugurated eschatology is realized plus unrealized. Can you see what I'm saying? Mm. It's, it's already realized and not yet, uh, you know, consistent eschatology. So, so you had some of this in uh, in the Gnosticism of the first century, in which the expectations of the day of the Lord are. are being said to have been realized at the first coming. It's already happening in, you know, in the early church. So, so like in 2 Timothy 2, it says, verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Okay, so we're setting up a situation of uh, people who do not handle the word of truth. 
Avoid godless chatter. Okay, so store that phrase in your mind. Godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching, right? So you got guys with godless chatter who are who are uh, who are framed as ungodly. Their teaching spreads like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. Another phrase to to keep in mind: wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows who are His, assuming those guys are not His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. (laughs) Dude... That's hardcore. So you get the same, you know, just turn back a page to the end of First Timothy. We know it's the, the Gnostics, alright? So we have two main groups that Paul's opposing in, in the New Testament. The circumcision group and the Gnostics. The one started by Simon the Sorcerer. In Acts 8, which that's what all the early church says, that Gnosticism which really arose out of him. One by one Gnosticism, which is totally different than the circumcision group. The Gnostic group perverts the hope in the second coming. The circumcision group perverts how you inherit the second coming, right? And righteousness before God, and setting aside the righteousness of God. So, he's clearly talking here about what we just read, is talking about the Gnostic group perverting the second coming, saying the second coming's already happened, right? Mm -hmm. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter, right? Same phrase. And the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, gnosis, right? So we're clearly talking about Gnosticism, which some have professed and in doing so have wandered from the truth. So it's the same phraseology as as just before. The godless chatter in which you're wandering from the truth and you're destroying the faith of, of many. So right before that, if you look in 2 Thessalonians, you get an example of how the faith of some are being destroyed by teaching like Hymenaeus and Philetus, who are saying the resurrection has already been realized or taken place. And so he's getting a, a uh, he's giving an introduction to the Thessalonians. You know, your faith and, and love are growing more and more. Verse three, verse four, among the churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith, and all persecutions and trials you're enduring. Right. So you know this is not an idealized situation. That it's that there's actually people following falling away and walking away. Seeds among rocks. That's what's actually going on. And Paul is speaking in faith, encouraging them, right? Because this is... (laughs) Once you have children, right? (laughs) You're you're speaking to your kids. That was a great job, you know, or whatever, whatever, because you're encouraging them and you, you don't sit there and criticize them for their many faults. So... 
All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He'll punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you've believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of you, yours and every act of Every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified among you, and you may be in him according to the grace, and that you and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Now, what's happening is that you've got false teachers that are saying that the resurrection's been realized. The day of the Lord's already happened, you know, and, and you, you're. You, you, you're suffering because it's your fault. You haven't realized it enough. You haven't, you know, activated enough. You haven't whatever. You, you don't have the faith for it. And so this is what he's saying in context of praying for them and encouraging them concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or a letter supposing to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already, ha has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Right? So now we're getting into the heart of the matter of why he's writing the letter in context to their difficulty. Right? There's, you, you don't have this break and flow of thought between chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. He's dealing with what's the issue is at present. And you have guys who are who are perverting the hope, which is then keeping them, verse 4, from perseverance and faith that Paul is, is, uh, wants to boast in. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. You know, and then he goes on to all that. And, uh, and so it's the same bit in First Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians fifteen, right? Where he's he's writing to Gentile churches. None of this is a problem in Jewish churches. Okay, we we just get the letters of Gentiles, and so Paul is dealing with Gentiles who are being perverted by Gnosticism. No Jew in Jerusalem. He's just going to laugh at anybody saying the resurrection's taking place. They're just going to be like, "You've got to be kidding me." Are you the dumbest Gentile on earth? You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't the problem. He's dealing, the, the letters are the Gentile churches that are being drawn away into perverted, realized eschatology stuff, right? But then they're also being hammered by the circumcision group that's coming in with traveling apostles and prophets saying, you have to be circumcised to be saved, right? And you have to obey the law of Moses. And Paul you know, Paul's going to hammer back in Galatians the same way concerning that issue as he is concerning a perverted hope. So you, you, you get the kind of two sides. And so 1 Corinthians 15 is the same 
business going on where he's recounting to them the gospel and and he's arguing against verse 12 but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead that it's been spiritually realized already how, how can you say that there's no resurrection not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless useless and so is your faith right? because your faith is based around you do this now the cross you inherit eternal yeah. life to come right Etc. Etc. If, if verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And those who, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Which is a little backslap to the to the Gnostics, right? Because he's saying they should be pitied among all men because they're saying their best life is now. Like how crazy is that, right? And so, so this is this is what we're this is what we're. I, I'm not like you know. I don't, I don't mean that condescending. I, I'm just saying what Paul is saying is: look, th this is not what we're living for. This life, we should be pitied if this is what we're living for. You know, yeah. I. It, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, <laughs> merely human reasons, what's that? If I fought wild beasts so that I could get something in this life, you know, if I, you know, if I'm sacrificing now for a better life down the road a little bit here, <laughs> like what, you know, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Like, don't sacrifice now if you're not believing for the age to come. If you're not believing for the age to come, live it up now. Don't 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 restrain yourself. Don't consecrate yourself. Don't don't say no to the 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 pleasures of this life. And that's what Demas, you know, he headed home because he loved this life and loved this world. It wasn't didn't want to consecrate himself to the gospel and sacrifice for the gospel. And so, so then, second, uh, let's look at 2 Timothy 4. <clears throat> right? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, right? So in view of the things that the Gnostics are saying have been realized, in view of those things, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Right? So, yeah. So this session is great patience and careful instruction. You know what I'm saying? This isn't what you do in Acts, Acts 17. This isn't what you do in a just, you know, the common mode of the church. This is what you do with people who are really bound in a stronghold of something. You sit them down and you patiently work through passages, you know, and just... Let's look at the context and the greater scheme of, of scriptures and what is God like and does it you know you just and and there's no 
there's a formula for this. You're not going to get a hermeneutical method that's going to produce. It's 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 a it's a, it's a reasonability by the Holy Spirit according to the nature and character of God. Is that true or is this true? You see what I'm saying? And so he says, uh, with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. And so it's the same Greek word. It's a different you know, derivative, but it's the same Greek word for instruction. And so the ESV says sound teaching, right? The time's coming when people will not put up with sound teaching because it's not... Every dot and tittle, you know, you know, have all your T's crossed and I's dotted and everything with your systematic theology. No, it's in light of his kingdom and his appearing and the judgment of the living and the dead. What matters? Disputable things don't matter what you eat and drink, right? This, that, and the other doesn't matter in your little theology, revelation, whatever. What matters is how you were created in the image of God. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's having mercy on the wicked now because he's patient and kind. And he sent his son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. You, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the, the main things on the timeline, that is what establishes sound teaching in, in that context. And so the thing that's being that he's fighting against with Timothy here is the guys that wreck sound teaching by saying the end has already happened, right? And so this is what he's going to say. They will not put up with sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, which we'll get what that means in a minute after he gets done pushing Timothy. To suit their own desires, meaning their desire for this age and this world. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, right? So you get the same language of they've wandered from the truth. They veered from the truth. So they've turned away from the truth and turned aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist discharge all your, the duties of your ministry. So the evangelist is, you know, in light of his appearing in kingdom and, and being saved from the, excuse me, from the wrath to come. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my detar- departure. I have fought the good fight in light of his appearing and his coming. I have set my hope fully on it, right? Like Second Corinthians you know, like, you know, just comes to my Second Corinthians. But you don't have to turn there. I'll just read a verse. You know, what he's talking about being hard pressed, persecuted, all that, and everything for the gospel that the that the cross of Jesus might be revealed, and the death of Jesus might be revealed in our bodies. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what's seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what's unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on it. This is the fight. You know what I mean? Like, this is what we're laboring towards. And this is, this is the, the duties of our ministry is to faithfully witness to Christ Jesus that he's the judge of the living and the dead. 
and that all the prophets have prophesied that in him we have forgiveness of sins, right? That in the Messiah, we find both the deliverance of God from sin, you know, by judgment and by mercy and, and forgiveness. And so this is, he's, it's the day that he's pressing towards, and this is how he's fought the good fight, is keeping his eyes fixed on it year upon year upon year upon year. And he says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And so again, everything, the fight and everything, is pressing towards that day. And not only for me, but also to all who have longed or loved his appearing. Right? So he's saying a couple things here. He's not just saying how awesome he is and how greatly he's fought. He's saying that these guys who have turned away from the truth, they have not loved his appearing, and they, have, they do not have a crown of righteousness stored up, and they have not fought the good fight. And because of their desires, they have departed from the faith. And then he's going to give an example. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, or this age, the Greek is age, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, etc., etc., right? And so the, the, the contrast is that the, those who create myths, they, for their own desires, to suit their own desires and their itching ears, the ideas are presented and put forth because they love this age. They love this world. And they want ideas and theologies that back that up. But we don't want to be harsh or critical of that. We want to be patient and loving and caring because we care about people. We want them saved from wrath. Yeah. We want them to inherit eternal life, right? Yeah. But when you got guys that are believing it and propagating it with zeal, you got to be firm with it and yeah. say, this, this, is, this is not truth. Mm. And, and mm. it's actually perverting the faith and destroying the faith of many. Mm. And it's hard in our context, you know, in the West where we got yeah. prosperity just going yeah. wild. We got prosperity coming out our ears. You know, it becomes a little more ludicrous when you, you know, go overseas to India or somewhere. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard me teach where my friend went to India. And uh, the, the, the Indian pastor met him and, and confronted him. Like, did, did I ever no, say this? I've said it at some points along the way, but, but uh, a friend of mine, the first time he goes to India, he's in Orissa, where all the persecutions have happened. Mm -hmm. And this guy has, like a church, you know, half of his pastors under his care are in prison, mm -hmm. and he's taking care, he has an orphanage, he's taking care of their kids while their wives are out in the jungle surviving, right? And so, like, oh, wow. I mean, it's an intense situation, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so my friend, you know, my friend goes with this other guy. He's introduced to this guy, uh, Brother Tandy, and he, you know, Daniel, Brother Tandy. And uh, Brother Tandy looks at Daniel, doesn't even say hi, and says, um, oh, hold on, let me try to gather my thoughts. What's he say? He says, uh, he says, uh, he says, uh, I watched TBN, and your teachers lied to me, and they told me that I would have a good life and would not endure suffering. 
but the Holy Spirit has led us into truth, and we know the truth. Like, this is what he, like, he's, he said it like, he just, bam, like, didn't even stretch out his hand, was just like, and like, Daniel just sat there going, ugh, <laughs> okay, you know, but it's like, wow. we export this all over the world, you know, and, and the, the whole, you know, realized eschatology now for a life now, because that's the drive of the pursuit, that's the desire, you know, because... Then the teaching always says, you know, given you'll be given to you or whatever. And, uh, <clears throat> all right. So enough of that. Let's, uh, let's jump back in and hit a few more passages that are used for justification for realize. Quick question. Yeah, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's more of a practical question than it's, some of these things that you're talking about kind of made me trigger that thought process. So if it's not a good time to talk about it, it's cool. No, no, no. But, this, um, is, this is what we're doing. <laughs> uh, kind of some of the things that I've been confronted with in sort of like what's going on in the missions movement kind of thing in our day and like missiology and all that is just such a thrust of go. You are called. You don't need a verse. You, you, I mean, you don't need a, a word. You have a verse. Just go and do it. And kind of the thing that confronts me is like, having your whole worldview kind of flipped upside down and crushed, you're just like, <laughs> I don't want to be telling people the wrong thing, you know, kind of the fear of the Lord and, and just, and there's people like big name people that I've heard in conferences that are just like, kind of, I don't know, talking about uh, going and evangelizing and preaching the gospel in such a nonchalant way in the sense of like, oh, we went to a conference Earlier in this year, David and I, and um, one of the guys was saying, uh, really huge in the missions movement, and he was like, uh, you don't have to know everything. You go out on the street and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And they say no and say, I only know three things about him, but let me tell you those three things. And he's kind of promoting this, like, way of evangelism, which I think, yeah, having a purity of heart in going to people and yeah. even where you are, I think is beautiful in the Lord can use the weakest of people, and I love that, but kind of where I am when I'm reading through things and just feeling the fear of the Lord, and I really want to have sound doctrine. I really want to have uh, understanding of Jewish worldview looking at the scriptures. I want to be able to uh, to be able to open up these scriptures and explain them uh, well when I'm talking to somebody or if I'm going right. to another uh, nation, you know, and, and just looking at insider movements, looking at all the, that that kind of stuff. That's just like I don't want to have any kind of agreement. And there's still so many questions that I have. But then I'm I'm watching things, or I'm reading people's blogs, and I'm looking at it. And there's such a it's almost a condemnation in the missions movement right now. If you're not going, or if you're not involved actively in evangelizing on your street or in India, basically you're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're an outside of something, you know? And, and so for me, I'm like, is there room for, cause kind of where I've put my heart in it is like, Lord, I want to be obedient. If you tell me to talk to the woman in Walmart, I want to do it, you know, even right. in my weakness and, and you can use it. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of where my heart is like, I really want to just give the next years to studying out some of these things and kind of de-funking uh, my 
my lens and my worldview because I still it still comes up and it still confronts a lot of things that I know to be true and um, the articulation of it is is not uh, normal to me at this point in right. what I'm learning and so just kind of what are your thoughts about what is being thrust in the missions world and and how that relates to kind of um, coming into revelation of some of these things and where it's like I feel like I don't know how to transition into that that role. Does that make sense of proclaiming and teaching and that? No, kind of thing? I, I think the missions movement is, uh, you know, as a whole, they're um, uh, theologically or their approach is kind of stuck in William Carey's day, in which you had. You, you had a fairly systematized uh, uh, presentation of the gospel, mm -hmm. which I, for the most part, uh, agree with, honestly, as far yeah. as the centrality of the cross and interpretation of that as divine holiness, yeah. holiness, human depravity, justification by faith, and these things. Yeah. Though, of course, I don't agree with the heavenly destiny thing. And a number of years ago, I was, you know, as the Lord was really reorienting my, my heart uh, around the cross, I was actually driving back from a meeting in Kentucky. And, uh, and I just put together like, a, you know, as I left an MP3 disc and I threw on there Johnny Cash's hymns. You know, yeah. you know that CD is just like the most heinously heavenly destiny city on earth right <laughs> and that thing started playing and the holy spirit came in the car and i just started weeping and like wow. was just uh, i mean uh, like i wept through the whole cd it was like I, you know i was trying to grapple with what is going on with me yeah. why because i used to like hate it and now all of a sudden i'm weeping but just the heart behind most of those gospel hymns that that drew out of the african-american movement and suffering yeah. and difficulty that it cast its hope not on the overthrow of their oppressor but on the deliverance of god and the age to come in their mind which is the other celestial shore and all that but at least it was a rejection of the arm of the flesh and entrusting their mm -hmm. souls to God and, mm -hmm. and just a wholehearted singing about it. And, and it really, like, it, it kind of marked me to where that is what, you know, the missions movement, the, the glory days of the missions movement was the late 1800s and the youth yeah. student volunteer movement yeah. and, and the salvation of souls, you know, yeah. every, every, the evangelization of, of every human being on earth in this generation was their kind of bit. And if you do a historical study, what brought that to an end in the 20s and 30s was the hardcore reaction of the liberals in introducing the liberal social gospel, which of course the liberal social gospel is rooted in, you know, the, the kingdoms now and yeah. the way you work that out is by social change. And, and, uh, and so I, you know, and since that time you've had this back and forth of how do we deal with the gospel and evangelism and 
social action. And you've kind of yeah. separated those out instead of integrating them into a into a uh, you know a theology of witness and a theology of stewardship and that kind of deal. You kind of separate them out as two separate things, which you can't do, but you still get all the language in the missions movement that is still kind of stuck back in the day when the gospel was a very clear, simple package. Yeah. You know, all of sin falls short of the glory of God and are justified by faith and will inherit eternal life mm-hmm. by faith in Him. So you need to repent, you know. Mm-hmm. And all that's within Heavenly Destiny framework mm-hmm. and it's it's very simple and straightforward and all you have to have is a little track to right. to, to do it with. And so you get kind of that, that flip and we just need to yeah. get the gospel out there. And the problem is there's there's a lot of stuff that's happened since the late 1800s and realized eschatology because all that yeah. stuff is mostly, I mean, there's almost, almost no realized eschatology. And it's still at a popular level. A lot mm-hmm. of people, that it, all it is is, you know, just keep your ticket punched now until you go to heaven. There is no, there's no realized eschatology kingdom now in their mind. It's just like, Got to keep on getting on till I go to heaven, you know, and, yeah. and go to church every Sunday to get my sins forgiven, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's just that kind of deal. And uh, so I think that being said, what I do appreciate about the missions movement is that you don't need uh, ten years of theological education to be able to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it it is simple enough to preach. But for any common uneducated man, and that three months of solid education, diligent, you know, teaching can establish somebody in in sound instruction, sound teaching. But you you take the main aspects of Reformed theology, because you got to understand that from 1550... Mm-hmm. To 1750, like you had 200 years where it was just so many guys writing so many 500-page books about, you know, a systematic <laughs> presentation of the gospel. And it's just like that thing got worked through so many times, rah, 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 because that was, you know, I mean, that was Luther and Philip Longton yeah. and all those guys, they... You know, their point was to establish what are the essentials of yeah. the gospel and, and what are we worth, what's worth protesting over and fighting over. So I think they're dead on as far as those essentials to the gospel, mm-hmm. the depravity of man, holiness of God, judgment to come, you know, how you're, how you're reconciled to God by faith, just by justification by faith and these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Just stick it on the timeline, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Put it in light of creation. Put it in light of the day of the Lord. And awesome. Theology of the cross. Right on. But what ends up happening is you got all this argument that's happened in the 1900s that has kind of come to fruition in the new perspective that says, oh, well, since we have a... You get like the introduction to to N.T. Wright's response to John Piper, where John Piper wrote a criticism of N.T. Wright. Mm -hmm. I forget what it counted as righteousness. No. The future of justification, right? The response to N.T. Wright. And then N.T. Wright wrote the response to Piper, justification. Paul's 
God's plan and Paul's or something like that. In the introduction where N.T. Wright responds to, to John Piper really is, is very telling. Because first what, what N.T. Wright says is, you criticized me by quoting Edersheim to me. That tells me that you're fairly ignorant of all the research on Second Temple Judaism that's happened in the last hundred years. Okay? So, this is how I'm trying to relate to you. Then he goes on to say, in the last hundred years, there's been a lot of research on Second Temple Judaism, and this is what they believed. And we know that they're not talking about going to heaven forever. They're talking about a theology of a new creation. And we have to really re-examine all of our theology of stuff, and we have to re-examine our theology of justification in light of that. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to tell a really condescending parable about how you've discovered, like, like Copernicus, that the, the sun doesn't go around the earth. And you've started to tell some people, and it's a new perspective on the sun. And, and your brother comes back to you, and he sincerely says, Brother, let's go out to the hillside, and let me show you. And as we watch the sun rising, see, I told you, the sun really does go around the earth. And I have to tell my brother, no, it doesn't, once again. <laughs> You know, and this is how he's relating to the reform perspective as presented by John Piper. And he's saying, in light of Second Temple Judaism and the expectation of first century Jews, they had a theology of a new creation and they had a, theo a different theology of the righteousness of God and justification, right? And we need to reinterpret our theology of the cross in light of a theology of new creation. No. We don't need to reinterpret our theology of the cross. The theology of the cross is dead out of the language of Paul, and it's not, and it's you just stick it on a timeline and lie of the day of the Lord, mm -hmm. and you interpret that you're delivered from the wrath of God to come, and you're acquitted on that day, not based on your own works, mm -hmm. but on the basis of grace and on the basis of faith in what He's done, because it's all drawn from the sacrificial system anyway. It is an alien righteousness, like Luther said. It comes from beyond yourself the same way the righteousness of the animal is transferred to you in an alien way. And it is the righteousness of God because God is the one who provides the sacrifice in the first place. You know what I'm saying? And you are justified by faith the same way that the Israelites, when they go into that house, they go in and faith that they're not going to die yeah. because they got blood over the door. And when they cast their sins on that animal and confess it, they walk away in faith that they're righteous before God because that animal's bearing their sin. Mm -hmm. Nothing else has changed. They still have the memories. It's all the same game, but all the righteousness of God and the faith stuff and the interpretation of the cross as a sacrifice is interpreted in light of the sacrificial system in anticipation of the day of the Lord. So you don't need to change a whole lot about the central tenets of the gospel around the cross and justification by faith. You just got to put that thing, rather than a universalized judgment upon death, at the end of the timeline in which the righteous and the wicked are being held for judgment eschatologically and will stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ in that sense. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So in a way, it's, it is simple enough. For anybody, and it shouldn't take a long period of teaching involved. And a lot of these things are 
you, you know, you, you have to, basically in our culture, most of people that we talk to are just modern day Gnostics, mm. you know, and you just have to correct, you know, where everything's going. And it's not an immaterial in, it's an earthly in. And this, and you put the cross in light of that, and people are like, awesome! You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I've been laboring for the eternal sing-along in the sky. Now I have something to really labor for in perseverance. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But more and more, by the by divine orchestration, I think, because the all the implications of the new perspective on Paul are self-righteousness. And they're all, when you get right down to it, they're all attacking Luther saying that he falsely interpreted the righteousness of God, that phrase, and that it's not an alien righteousness, that it's it's something that God possesses, not something that God imparts, which is the exact thing that Luther was arguing against. And you're going to go right back to the same issue of how we stand before God at the heart level when that gets exposed on the day of the Lord. But anyway, we're going to work through more of that in the morning and We'll hammer on that. Just one more question about that is, um, like, the thrust about global evangelization and that ushering in the day of the Lord, kind of like every knee and every tongue will confess, and that that, it's like back to Jerusalem and that kind of right, thing. Right, right, right. Um, and it, it seems like, and David and I were talking about this, it seems like there's an appointed day and that that thing is set and it's not... It kind of seems like the big thrust of the missions movement is it's dependent upon you if the Lord is going to... Obviously, the Lord is going to come, but it's dependent on you on how quick he comes. And it's almost like a a condemning, you know, you need to get over here kind of thing. Get your act in line because... Uh, this is what's going on, and we need to evangelize the unreached. And Get this thing done. And it's yeah, it's right. almost a dominion-esque kind of feel to it, too, because it's like, let's go, you know, and, and so for me, I'm just like, it doesn't really carry the heart of the Lord to me in the going, you yeah. know, and, and, and also wanting to carry the fear of the Lord in what you're saying, <laughs> too. Yeah, because a lot of the, a lot of the missions guys are, you know, they're being discipled by Lad, mm-hmm. you know, and the U.S. Center for World Missions is right there next to Fuller, and yeah. and Winters was, you know, he, he was worked alongside with with Lad at Fuller for a while, and with McGavern and the in the mission school there, and and uh, and so you know the the main theology section of missions and the perspectives reader concludes with Lad and the mm-hmm. theology of taking the kingdom. So you're getting a lot of different theologies passing around. Yeah. You know, and and different people putting in different ideas to the gospel. Some are just, you know, just hardcore evangelistic salvation of ethereal souls for immaterial heaven. Some guys are, you know, real just social justice oriented, we got to help people in their need, that's the gospel. Some guys have a real developed theology of, of kingdom now and, 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 uh, seven mountains and all that. They're pushing that in the missions movement. And so you've got a mix of all different kinds and sort of people from liberal to conservative and all kinds of theologies that are putting their ideas into the gospel and, 
let's just get it out. Yeah. Which I understand. I understand that heart because you don't want to bog down and forever arguing over specific points. <clears throat> Unless you're teaching something that's fundamentally wrong that's not going to make disciples that endure the day of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. So we got to handle the tension of we don't want to do a perpetual paternalization of teaching, but we want yeah. to give a sound teaching right. that yeah. gives the main points and then push people out right. and say, you're created in the image of God, you have the Holy Spirit, now go teach it. Yeah, yeah you're going to make some mistakes, yeah. you're going to put some funny things together, but, you know, I, I'm behind you and praying for you and awesome, now go, you know, and the Holy Spirit will tell them go and they'll go and they'll work it out, it'll be a little messy or whatever, but if you try to get everything but and that yeah. that thing is that thing will just handicap people mm-hmm. from feeling like they can ever actually do anything with God, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's just kind of been something that I've been meddling through in my mind. My brother's in China, and that a lot of his updates is kind of a lot of. And there's just people that are very influential. And, oh, oh, oh! The yeah. timing indicator. Yeah, that was the point of the question. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're good. So. The, the, what we got to establish in our mind is what's the timing indicator and what's the mechanism that's going on. Yeah. So if we get the mechanism as the testimony of God, that that's the mechanism that, that concludes this age, right? The yeah. broad thing over is that God is basically building his testimony for his day. Everything's moving towards that day, and he is... He's gathering together a grand case, so to say, for the eschatological lawsuit, the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. All right, so he's he's building in all these ways a testimony for himself for that day, and there's various things that are going to come to conclusion and climax. Yeah. The the main one being the depravity of man that he is going to bring to conclusion by lifting his his restraint off of human depravity and allowing wickedness to come forth in the Antichrist at the end of the age, right? And he's going to bring a conclusion to his desire for the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles. He's going to bring a conclusion for his desire for the Jews and the saving of the Jews. He's going to bring a conclusion uh, in... in uh, you know, which in, which involves the the going to all the nations, but all these things are are part of him building an eschatological testimony that's on his time scale, yeah. and so I agree with like the heart of that that we want to get the gospel to all the nations, yeah. absolutely, because yeah. part of his heart is to testify that he's the God of the Gentiles and he loves the Gentiles and he wants to save as many as possible, but also part of his heart is to consign all the Gentiles over to disobedience to show them that they're wicked too, the same way that he consigned the Jews over to disobedience to show them that they're wicked, that they crucified their very own Messiah because of self-exaltation, and that will be humbled, right? Isaiah 2, which is a bad thing. He who exalts himself will be humbled like a fire. He who humbles himself will be exalted, eternal life. And so, so the whole thing is moving towards that, and that way martyrdom becomes the ultimate uh, kind of expression of his testimony as you move through the book of Revelation. Because if martyrdom is done in love, 1 Corinthians 13, 
then it means something and it testifies to God. If you subject your you know body to the flames and martyrdom and you do it without love, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't testify to anything. Yeah. But you do it out of love and you have a culmination of the testimony of divine restraint toward the wicked and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that this is how this age and this is how God is, even at the height of human wickedness. Yeah. And, and, and the great tribulation that brings the great multitude and martyrdom out from the Antichrist, mm-hmm. that, that then, you know, Matthew 24 can be interpreted in context in which, you know, that specific section isn't really even talking about the fullness of the Gentiles. It's talking about the end of the age and all the nations already have heard the gospel. Yeah. Right? And all the nations will hate you, and they'll hand you over to kill you. You'll stand before kings, and the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel, the testimony, will go forth to all the nations, and then the end will come. Yeah. Right? And so it's, it's really just an answer to what will be the sign of the end of the age yeah. and your coming. And so... That section in Matthew 24 uh-huh. isn't even really talking about the fullness of the Gentiles. Yeah. It's talking about, well, in that last, you know, seven year, in that last week, there's yeah. going to be the growing of birth pangs, and there's going to be all the nations are going to hate you, and you're going to be handed over the desecration of the temple, like yeah. in Daniel, and, and all the divine testimony will come to climax and fulfillment, mm. and then the day the Lord will come. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the greatest critiques is if you, if you've heard of Dalton Lifsey, the controversy of Zion. So he, they did a, a a Israel convocation a couple months ago. And so he spoke at that and he just gave a great, like, "Mm," to the missions, because he's a missions guy. He's just talking about how, a lot of what the missions movement is doing is kind of futile and missing the bigger point of yeah. what God is doing in relation between Jew and Gentile. Yeah. And so just don't worry about the implicit condemnation. You know, don't let the guys whose faith is weak and they say you have to regard the Sabbath in order to yeah. be saved. Just they're passing judgment on you. Just relate in mercy and and love them and bless them. And the guy who's passing judgment on you because you're not part of what God's doing and in the 1040 window, just bless him and love him because he's, he's actually the weaker faith brother and he doesn't, he's out of touch with what's really going on. And what's really going on is, is that the Jews are not just another people group. Yeah. Neither in this age nor in the age to come. And, and, God has a, a different agenda on his mind than just calculating all the different so peoples good. of the earth and, and getting, you know, this many believers and disciples within each of those. And then we're done. Good yeah. enough. Move on. You know, that's not, that's mm-hmm. not really what he's about. He's about a testimony in relation to himself. And, and men and building that testimony, the eschatological conclusion. Yeah. That's good. That, yeah, that answers exactly what I was wanting to say. Yeah. yeah.